Uh, thankful that you're here this morning. You can go ahead and be uh, opening your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. Uh, and while you're turning there, let me, let me just uh, uh, make this uh, statement. I don't see Buddy uh, Brooke here in this service. He'll probably be your uh, next service as well. You know, we did that at the beginning of the service. We asked Buddy to come and share. And some of you may not even know Buddy. Buddy and Sharon and, and Sydney are members here at this church. And um, a few years ago, Buddy retired as a colonel in the United States Army. And uh, and let me just say this, we, we, with that part at the beginning, he didn't even know we put that part on there, okay? Uh, that the Way 31 highlight that they had of him. We just wanted to let you know a little uh, of who he is and what he's done. And, and we're not about, we want to exalt the name of Jesus, but Buddy is a servant of the Lord. And God has used him uh, greatly as, uh, as in the military and I uh, used him in my life as he's retired, and, and I've gotten to spend time with him, uh, studying the Bible together, praying together, uh, just drinking coffee together, talking about things going on in his life, things going on in the world. And uh, uh, let me just say this, and I, I don't say it a lot, Buddy Brooke is an American hero. Amen. Uh, he, uh, and he doesn't want applause. He doesn't... He probably will be upset with me because we put that on at the beginning. Uh, but we wanted to just, I wanted you to know him and, uh, and express, I'm, I'm thankful, all our veterans, I'm thankful for all our veterans. He's just one that I've gotten to know and, and he shared with me some of the things uh, that he's been through in his life. And, uh, and he, he loves the Lord and he loves this church and he loves this country. And, uh, and he has... Um, done a lot that we might be here today that we might have the freedoms that we have so I just I just wanted to share that personal uh, note uh, with you um, but I want us to get into the the word of God and, and focus on why we're here uh, this morning and why you know not only do we have freedoms to to do things but but why we have a freedom to to be God's church and to do what God has called us to do. Mark chapter 11. Now this, uh, again, just to remind you, and for those of you that are new this morning, uh, we're, we're going through that, that last week leading up to the cross in Mark chapter 11 through the end here. And this is the part we're going to be reading today is on day two. Day one uh, is where Jesus uh, rode the, the donkey and had the, the hosannas, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, day two, which we looked at some uh, last week, we looked at the fig tree and the teaching that Jesus had around that, uh, not only about uh, the, the fig tree, but also uh, about faith and about forgiveness, what he was teaching. And this is, that Monday is a day of teaching. And so we skipped this passage here. Now we're going back and catching up so that we can cover everything about the fig tree. Now we're looking at this important passage, and it is more teaching that takes place, although really it's just a few words that Jesus says uh, there in verse 17. So Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15 where it says, so they came to Jerusalem. This is uh, the disciples. They, they came the, the, on Sunday. They left. They have come back. Uh, and, and so that is, uh, uh, in verse 15, it says, so they came to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. 
You could say they were exercising their freedom, but they've got a great under, misunderstanding of what true freedom is. True freedom does not mean that you can do anything that you want to do, okay? Especially freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we can do anything we want to do and get away with it, all right? Verse 16, And he, Jesus, would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, It is not... Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. So here we have, this is a time of, uh, of teaching. And, and one thing I, as we get into this, I, I want to point out, this is, uh, this is Jesus working and Jesus is seeing what is going on. Matter of fact, there's a name for God in the Old Testament. We, we studied the names of God a, a few years ago on, on Sunday nights. And one of those names is the name El Roy. Uh, El Roy is the name for God, which means the God who sees we serve a God who sees everything. The, when that name is used, initially it is used when, when Hagar, when uh, uh, you remember the story of, of, of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's uh, slave and, and she couldn't have children and so she tried to bypass what the promise of God and so she gave her handmaiden, she gave her servant Hagar to Abraham to have children with him and that's how he, he could... Uh, uh, fulfill the promise that he would have a, a, a nation that would come from him and, and do that. And then after Hagar got pregnant, Sarah got jealous and got upset about it. And so she sent Hagar out and Hagar was leaving there and she didn't know what to do. And God came and met her, saw what she was going through and comforted her, gave her direction. She was able to go back until she had uh, the baby Ishmael there. So that's, that's the, the, the story there. And we saw we serve a God who sees. We serve a God who sees everything. He sees our hurting. He sees when we're mistreated. He sees when things are, are when we have struggles in our life. And I don't know about you, but that, that brings me comfort that I serve a God who sees my hurting. He sees our church. He knows what's going on in our church, not just who all is here and where you're sitting and whether you came and what you put in the offering plate or, or what you didn't put in the offering plate, but he sees into the heart of our church. He sees into the, the hearts of our, our, our people. He sees our nation. He, he knows what we need. He knows where we are. I mean, we can churches could be full today, but he knows where really the heart of our nation is, where the leadership of our nation is, and he knows whether we really mean it when we say, God bless America. Maybe we really want the blessing, but maybe we're not really willing to follow, follow the God of the blessing. He sees all of that. And by the way, he sees the lost world as well. You know, Hagar was, did have a son, and his name was, it was Ishmael. And it was out of Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael were the ones that became the Muslim people. God knew that. And yet he comforted and took care of Hagar. God sees everyone. 
And that's really what this passage is about. It's about this God who sees. Here's Jesus. Jesus is a, he, he's in human flesh. He is God the Son that has taken on human flesh here. But that's one thing as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. I, I may, maybe you've noticed this. Maybe you haven't. But Jesus is always seeing. He sees people that nobody else sees. He sees situations that nobody else sees. He sees the deeper truths and sees into the hearts of the people that are coming to him in a way that nobody else can. He sees. He sees the disciples and and, and what is going on and their struggles and their arguments and and their ups and downs in their life. He sees Judas. We talked a little bit about that last week and how part of the teaching that he's doing is is teaching, is, is calling Judas to repentance before Judas even betrays him. He sees the disciples. He sees the people that are around him. He sees those that are hurting. He sees those that, that need comforting. He sees those that are exercising faith and reaching out to him. He sees those that are moving away from him and trying to and are plotting together to kill him. And by the way, he sees us. He sees me. He knows what's going on in my heart and in my mind and in my life. Every detail about it, what no one else sees, he sees. And he sees you as well. He knows whether you're listening to me right now or not. He knows whether what the motive was for you coming to worship the Lord or not. He, he knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. Jesus sees And here in in verse 11, uh, we didn't read verse 11, but just to remind you, at the end of the triumphal entry, he came into Jerusalem. It says that he, in verse 11, that he went into the temple and when he had looked around at all things, he went out to Bethany. See, Jesus was seeing. He saw what was going on in the temple. He saw the altar the altar of sacrifice. And he knew of all the lambs and the goats and the bulls and everything that had been sacrificed on that altar, all the blood that had been spilt, that none of it had taken away the sins of any man. And he knew that by the end of that week, his blood would take care of it. He saw the altar. He saw the holy place at the center of the temple, it doesn't say that he went in there. Matter of fact, he had to, he had to be a, a, an acknowledged priest, although Jesus was a priest. He had to be an acknowledged priest to be able to, to go into to there physically. And so Jesus didn't go in there. But he knew what was in there. He'd been in there before. And he knew that at this time, listen, at this time, in that holy place, there was the, the showbread that was there. There was the, the, the lamps that were, were, were there. There was all these, these different things that were, were laid out, the, the incense and, and stuff that was going on there. There was a huge curtain, and beyond that curtain, there was the holy of holy places. And you know what? He knew that there was no Ark of the Covenant in there. He knew there was nothing in there. See, God is not some piece of furniture that we worship. But he knew that. He knew the glory was not in that holy of holy places, the glory of the temple. The glory was standing before them clothed in human flesh. And not only did he know about that, but he also knew the things that were there that did not belong. 
And that's what this passage is about. The courtyard, the area surrounding the temple, the the court of the Gentiles is what it was called, was a huge place surrounding the temple. And and only, only devout Jews, only those that could go on further into the temple and then beyond that only the priests could go in further. That's kind of the way it was. And so here he is in this huge courtyard surrounding the temple and he was looking around and he saw a lot of things that did not belong. By the way, in God's church, who decides what belongs? He does. You understand that the title of my message is this is my church. When I say my church, I don't mean the preacher's church. I mean that is God saying this is my church. Matter of fact, he, he says down in verse 17, he said, my house shall be called a house. Whose house is it? It's his house. And so it seems like the owner gets to decide what belongs, right? And so he's the one that belongs. Who's, whose house is it? It is, it is his house and, and it is his church as well. And when I say that, yes, uh, and we, we start applying it to the buildings and what goes on within the, the buildings that are here. And I'm thankful for the buildings that God has, has blessed Underwood Baptist Church with through the, the giving of the people and the planning of, uh, of people, of past pastors and, 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 and building committees and, and all this that has done. I mean, and each one of these buildings, going all the way back to the, the first building across the street when it was built, what a, a glorious day that was and how it was dedicated to the Lord and then the education building next door when it was built and how it opened up. Uh, rooms for more discipleship and teaching to take place and how it was dedicated to the Lord and then this sanctuary was built and, and, and opened up where bigger crowds could come and even to the point now we've got to have two services and stuff and this building was dedicated to the Lord and the, and the building behind us where the fellowship hall is and the education space again that was added even more as more and more people are coming and, and, and hearing about Jesus and being taught the word of God and it was dedicated to the Lord onto the children's building and it was dedicated to the Lord onto the hub the most recent building over there and how God has used and blessed it in our youth ministry and our college ministry and even our overall church ministry uh, as well and not only with the things that we've planned there but also open it up to other folks to come in and use and the, the witnesses that has uh, opened up because of that and all of that's been dedicated to the Lord it's his, but it's His it's not ours, it's His it all belongs to him, and even more so than the buildings. The church is not the building. The church is the people, the body of Christ. We belong to him. You know, our, uh, as we plan out worship services and, and, and uh, what we're going to do throughout the year, it's not us just deciding what we think is best. Our responsibility is to hear from the Lord and do what he wants us to do and do it the way he wants us to do it. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth that's going through division there. And he says, no, do you not know that you are the body of Christ? He's talking to the church as a whole there. And that the Holy Spirit, that, that not only that we are the body of Christ, but the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, and that he indwells us. He, he complies it to the church. And then later on, he's talking to individuals who had let things come into their own individual lives. He says, your body is the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we, all, we as blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We belong to Him. 
So I want us to look at this morning, I want us to look at what does not belong in this church. There are several things here. There are a lot of things that don't belong in this church. But there are several things that are pulled from the scripture here that do not belong in his house, that do not belong in his church. One is personal greed does not belong in his house. Verse 15, it says, When he, they came to Jerusalem, Jesus went in the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the, the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. What's going on here? These folks are making money. Making money, taking advantage of the people, the money changers. What they were doing is that they, the, they had set up, the priests had set up, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had set it up where, where when you paid the temple tax, and everybody had to pay the temple tax if they were going to be right with God. When they paid that, you couldn't just pay it in any type of, of monetary unit. You couldn't use uh, the Roman currency. You couldn't use any uh, currency from wherever you might be. You had to use specific shekels, temple shekels to do it. And so you had to bring in whatever money you had and they would exchange it and give you a shekel for that. And they were taking advantage of the people in doing that. And in, in doing that, they were they, the exchange was not good and, and the people that were taking in the money were making money off the people that were just trying to be obedient to the Lord. Not only that, but it talks about those that were, were selling doves for sacrifice, you see. And, and, and by the way, the reason they were selling doves for sacrifice is that doves were a lot cheaper than, than lambs and, and than goats and than bulls and things like that. And so that's what they were selling as far as that's what people were willing to pay for, but they were still charging people for that and because they, they would travel from so far and they would take it and they'd take advantage of the people and, and they were doing it all. They were using others for themselves. And that does not belong in the church of God. That attitude does not belong in the church of God. Does not belong in His house. Does not belong in His church. When we have this attitude that others are here to serve me. That the worship team is here to bless me. That the preacher's here to bless me. That the other people around me are here to bless me, to do what I want. That's an attitude that doesn't belong in his house. Matter of fact, Jesus said about these people, he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. In verse 17 it says, but you've made it a den of thieves, just consuming it upon yourself. So when you come to worship, when you are part of his house, are you a taker or are you a giver? Those who know Jesus know that Jesus is a giving God, and those that follow Jesus will be givers and not takers. Personal greed does not belong in his house. Not only that, but personal convenience does not belong in his house. Notice in verse 16, it says, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. See, I mentioned that about the doves, and what's going on there is that the people, they didn't want to go too crazy with their sacrifice, so they'd buy the doves instead of paying a lot of money for a goat or paying a lot of money for the land. That was also convenient for them. There's no, listen, 
They didn't have to check their bags when they traveled back then, all right? <laughs> they didn't have airplanes and stuff. And so there's no reason why people couldn't bring their own and, and, and do that and stuff. It just wasn't convenient for them. They'd rather spend a little extra money for make it more convenient for them. And, and not only that, but they didn't have to, you know, wrestle with, with bringing a lamb or bringing a goat or bringing a bull or something like that. That could be really inconvenient and stuff. And so they'd go and they could save some money and they could be something convenient and still kind of meet the law in doing that. And so that's what they did. And so, See, it was a matter of personal con convenience for them. And by, by the way, when we have a, a personal religion that, that seeks what is only what is convenient, what is it a convenient time for me to worship the Lord? All right, they're having this ministry uh, opportunity at church. Is it a convenient time for me to do that? Do I not have, uh, maybe I've got something else that I, I'd rather be doing. Maybe it's too early. Maybe it's too late. Maybe it's an evening that I, I'd rather be doing something else or my favorite show is on TV or, or something on. Listen, religion's not, in his house, there's no room for just personal convenience. When we seek what is convenient and we seek our own personal comfort, then it becomes all about us and not all about him. I could go on there, but that, let me just say, personal convenience does not belong in this church. Personal barriers don't either. And by personal barriers, there may be barriers that we put up personally, or there may be barriers that we put up as a group that keep individual persons away. That has no place in his house. See, verse 17, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment. What does he say? He says, it's not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. Where is this taking place at? Where is the, the, as I mentioned earlier, this is taking place in the court of the Gentiles outside there where Gentiles could come and even though they may not be true Jews they may not have gone through the act of circumcision they may not have gone through all the, the acts of becoming a full-fledged Jew but they could still worship the God of the Jews they could still worship the God of Israel they could come and be a part the court of, of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place of worship and it had become a marketplace and what were they doing? They weren't blocking the Jews because the Jews could go on in. They were blocking the Gentiles from worshiping. They were blocking those from the, the outside, those who might be God-fearers, those who, who might be just be interested, those who might want to mo know more about the truth. They couldn't even get in there. And we as a church, if we're not careful, we can put up barriers. We can try to make people jump through our hoops and look like us and act like us and say, once you've reached this level, then you can come to God. Or we can just have the attitude like many of these did in their day where me first, you second. This is about what I want, and if you like what I want, then you can come on. That attitude permeates American churches today. See, and as I say this, I'm not really talking about clothing, whether we wear a coat or a tie or whether we don't, or, or the lighting or the style of music or thing. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about attitudes 
I'm talking about the, the lack of love, the lack of service, the lack of, of caring about those who come. Listen, there's only one barrier between someone coming to Jesus and not coming to Jesus. And the only barrier is the gospel. And that's what we need to present as a church in everything that we do. The only th reason why somebody cannot come to Jesus is because they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're willing to come through, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter uh, your economic status. It doesn't matter who your parents are or anything like that. If you're willing to come to Jesus Christ, if you're willing to come to God through Jesus Christ, come on. Come on. Personal barriers do not belong in his house. And then finally, personal religion does not belong in his house. Over in verse 18, it says, And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. The scribes and the chief priests, these are the most religious people around. More religious than the disciples. These, these, these are, they have their own religion, this personal religion. They claim to be worshiping God, but they were really worshiping themselves. Jesus has warned them about the, the leaven of the Pharisees. And many of these scribes and priests, that's who they were. They were uh, the, the Pharisees there. They were full of self-righteous works. They had themselves on the throne. And, and, and so that's what their religion was all about. That comfort and convenience that we were talking about. It's about their way or the highway. You see, and, and, and although they, 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 they looked good on the outside, they were empty on the inside because it's not as much about what you do, but it's why you do it. It's the heart of the matter. It's the motivation behind it. And so what they were doing because they were, it was a, a religion about themselves, they were putting themselves on the throne and they were trying to put God in a box. And by the way, you can't put God in a box. And as I've said today, and I want to make it very clear, I'm thankful to live in the country that I live in and be able to do the things that I do. And I'm thankful for everyone that has served in the military to, to ensure those, those freedoms and to, to help us with that. I, I'm very thankful for that. But unfortunately, the American church has tried to put God in a box. And what happens is, is when you try to put God in a box, God removes himself. You cannot keep him in a box. A box of, it's got to be this way. And personal religion does not belong in his house. So those are some things that do not belong. Let me, let me just share with you quickly here what does belong in his church. And I've preached on these things time and time again. I just want to remind you of these things this morning. What does belong in his church. And it is his church. It is his house. Look at what he says there in verse 17. He says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Three things he says belong in his house. First of all, all nations belong in his house. Do you understand that? <laughs> all people, all nations. You say, what type of people are you talking about? I'm talking about everybody that lives within a driving distance of Underwood Baptist Church belongs here. Needs to come here. Needs to hear the word of God. Needs to worship the Lord. Needs to come to know Jesus. 
Doesn't matter what they look like, what type of house they live in, uh, where they've come from, or what language they speak. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. All nations belong in his... That's the heart of God. He's quoting from the Old Testament, from the, the book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before. It was the heart of God in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus came. He came to die for all nations. As Isaiah chapter 56, beginning in verse 6, he says, Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from the fallen and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy nation. He's bringing all nations and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. See, in Isaiah where it's quoted, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, Israel, you need to come back to me. You need to return to me because I want to use you. My heart is not just for you, but I want to use you to reach all nations. So we as a church, we must go to all the world. That's what Jesus said in the, in the New Testament. He said, go and make disciples of all people, of all nations. He said, go and preach the gospel to all people. He said that repentance and re the remission of sins should be preached among all people. He told them right before he ascended, he said, you should be my witnesses. Yes, in Jerusalem and all Judea, but into Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the heart of God. We must be willing to go to all the world. And that's why we as a church, yes, we're, we're doing things. Things and, and we're going to Alaska this at the, uh, the end of this week and going to be there next week. And we've been to Honduras and, and, we're, and we've been to Florida and we're going to, to Memphis. And there's other places as well that we're going to, to share the gospel and in, in, in doing that. But we can do even more. Matter of fact, the majority of what we need to be doing is getting the gospel out to all the world. Not paying to keep things running here. But paying to get the gospel out. And not just paying, but going to get the God. God wants us to go to all the world. And God wants us to love all people, all creation. See, God doesn't love us more because we live in America. God loves every soul. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And that, yes, that means people of other nations, but also means people who live around here that don't look and act like us. We need to make sure that as we present the gospel, it's not a gospel that says, clean up your life first and then come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel has come to Jesus and he'll clean it all up. What belongs in his church? All nations, all people. Tell you what else belongs in his church, in his house, prayer. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What is prayer? Prayer is going to God. I tell you, as a, as a preacher, it, it burdens my heart. The fact that the Bible is so full of prayer and the church is not. That we can have a, some big events, but then you, you have a, an event that says prayer on it and the crowds shrink. 
prayers. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's just that, that we can go to God. We have access to God, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is just a, a life of communication to God, that we get to come to God. And, and evangelism is bringing others to this God, that they might have a relationship with Him. We are called to be a, a house of prayer for all nations. The early church, prayer was the atmosphere of the early church. Everything they did was permeated with prayer. It was the ministry of the church, and it was the priority of, of everything that they did. It was the power of the church. The impact that they had upon the world around them was through prayer. And it was the mission of the church. God told them what to do, told them where to go as they were before him constantly in prayer. And it was very interesting that Jesus didn't say, my house should be called a house of preaching or a house of singing or a house of teaching or house of benevolent ministries, although all those things are things that the church ought to be doing. But he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Putting the priority where it should be. Who decides what belongs? Do we? Or does he? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what he said. So we ought to be a people of prayer. Today, and I've said this before, as you go to your Sunday school classes, you ought to get together with people and say, how can I pray for you? That ought not to be something that you tag on at the beginning or tag on at the end or, or start at the beginning. And just and, and It ought to be a part of what we do every time we get together. How can I pray for you? What is the one thing that, that you would like to see God do in your life right now that I can join together with you in prayer? That's the way we minister to one another. That's what we ought to be doing and, and not just our Sunday school classes or our Sunday morning or Sunday night worship, but just all throughout the, 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 the texting those that, that we're a part of in a small group says, how can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you today? And, and praying and spending that time in prayer with one another, lifting one another up, encouraging one another. That's the way it, it, it ought to be. In our community, that's one of the greatest ways you can open up a door to the gospel. That's what we went out and, and, and did uh, last Sunday night and everything. We went out. And, and I had an opportunity to pray with some folks and just seeing folks that were out. We didn't knock on doors. We didn't ring doorbells. But if we ran into somebody who's outside, we asked them that question, how can I pray for you? And able to minister to other believers and able to, to share the gospel and minister to those who don't know Jesus as well. When is the last time you, you asked the lady at the, that was checking you out at Walmart, how can I pray for you? When's the last time you asked the, the guy that, at the gas station when you, you went in to, to get a receipt or to, to, to get a, a soda or, or a bottle of water or something like that? You said, how can I pray for you? When is the last time you asked your neighbor when you saw him out in the yard, went over there and said, listen, I'm just, I, I, I believe in prayer. How can I I pray for you. That can open up ministry. That can open up doors to the gospel. And I encourage you, this week, we're going to pray for our Alaska team here in just a minute, quicker than I thought, because we're getting away with time. Uh, but uh, but we, I want you to be praying for us this week and praying for this ministry that we're doing in Alaska. We're going to be doing VBS. And probably every kid that comes will be lost and not know Jesus. There may be a few there that have a connection, but most of them, if, if not every one of them, won't know Jesus. Pray that some are saved this week.
pray. Prayer belongs in his house. All nations belong in his house. And I tell you, if it's his house, he belongs there. Jesus belongs there. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you know Jesus is teaching on the Trinity here because he's quoting it and talking about himself. And he's saying, I'm the God of the Old Testament. My house. It's his house. Jesus is the sacrifice for us. He's the sacrifice for us, for me and you. That's why we love him. That's why we serve him. He is the sacrifice for the world. That's why we go to them. That's why we pray for them. And that's why we tell them about Jesus. Jesus is also the, the holy one of the house of God. He is the one that made the house holy. Everyone else is imperfect. And that's you know that's what he's doing here. He's setting up his sacrifice. He's setting up the, the on the cross. It says look at it. Just, I got to point this out. Verse 18 he says, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. They wanted to destroy him. Jesus is setting up the cross. He needed to teach this. He needed to teach, listen, Jesus needed to teach it for one reason. It's because he's setting up them coming and arresting him and where they can't do any, or they're not willing to do anything else but put him on the cross because he's going to the cross. But he's also doing it. Catch this. He is cleansing the court of the Gentiles because in 40 days, a little over 40 days, Peter is going to stand in that same court and preach the gospel to everyone that is there. Pentecost. Doesn't say it directly, but I, I'm pretty sure that that's where Peter was when he preached. See, when we read this passage of Scripture, we get upset because he's so mean to those money changers, overturning those temples. How could he be that? Some of us get upset of that. Some of us go, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to whoop them, yeah. You know, that type of thing. That's not what he's doing. What is he doing? He's making a way for Gentiles to come to Jesus. He's making a way for God-fearers to come to Jesus. He's making a way for them to be saved, to hear the gospel. He's cleansing it out for Peter so Peter can preach. He knows what's going on. He sees and he sees our church, and he knows what we need. Would you listen to his voice right now and ask him this question, what needs to be overturned in my life? This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.